Welcome to Season 2 of History, Politics, and Beer, the podcast that examines contemporary issues through the lens of history. Now, from the home office in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, we invite you to sit back with an ice-cold one and enjoy the pontifications of your hosts, Matt Shockey and Jeff Hudson. All right, welcome back, everyone. Uh, this is the final pod for season two, Jeff. We've been kind of dragging our feet here. We've been traveling around a little bit, and we're heading into June, late June. We're going to put a cap on season two. First day of summer. First day. It is first day of summer. We're going to put a cap on season two here today, and then we're going to take a break, uh, probably until late September, early uh, October, I think, season three will be starting for us. Okay. But we have something a little different for our last one. Uh, we have a, a beer we're going to introduce, and we have a little different. It's going to be called Tell Me Why I'm Wrong. Uh, we're going to just kind of look at some opinions, and we're going to kind of argue with each other a little bit. But before we get to that, we have a very nice – this might be – I'm going to take a picture of this. I'll tweet this out and put it on the in Facebook. This is I'm going. This is the best-looking can we've had. It is. I agree with you totally. It's a, it's a wonderful shade of blue. It says official on it. It does. And so you know, any beer that says official kind of gives you authority to drink a lot of it, the way I look at it. And it is really – and it's a, a Bell's beer. A lot of people might be familiar with Bell's Two-Hearted uh, Ale, a very famous IPA. And this is a hazy IPA, so why don't you try it out? I'm pretty sure I'll like it, but why don't you a try pungent it? pungent American hops. That's not going well for me. Let's see what's uh, got. Right. What we got going. That's a C plus for me. Okay. There is enough of the wheat and the Pilsner in there, you can, malt. At the end, it takes some of the bitterness. It does. Out. It's bitter, but it, it doesn't last. Right. And it does have some other flavors in there that I can't really put my through Maybe in there. Maybe a it's little just, grapefruit. And, yeah, yeah, a little fruity thing. Yeah. In, my, in my refrigerator right now, I have some uh, summer shandies uh-huh. that I'm looking forward to. I always like the shandy in the summertime. Yeah, shandy's good. You know, that's a, that's a good beer, sissy beer. It is. <laughs> I appreciate that. Because <laughs> I, am, I am the beta male in this relationship. <laughs> The beer, the beer relationship. <laughs> All right. So this pod is called Tell Me Why I'm Wrong. And basically what's going to happen is I'm going to tell you a statement. I'm going to support that statement. And then you're going to tell me why I'm wrong. Uh, we're going to go a little bit. And then once you hear this sound, hopefully it plays, we're going to go on to the next topic. I think I have about two or three. You have about two or three. So here is the first topic. Um, Roe versus Wade, this is my first state, Roe versus Wade will be overturned within five years. And here's my position on this. Um, as we've done in previous podcasts, we know that Roe versus Wade is really the foundation is the right to privacy. Uh, we have Connecticut versus Griswold. Uh, and if you want to know more about that, you can take, listen to our, for, uh, our earlier podcasts. That decision was 7-2. Uh, Roe versus Wade comes a few years later, again, resting on the precedent that a woman has a right to privacy. That was decided 7-2. Um, but where in the Constitution does it say you have the right to privacy? Uh, the If you read the decision of Roe versus Wade, it really tries to 
push a bunch of amendments together and sort of says, if you look at this as a whole, I think the word was a penumbra. Yeah. Uh, there's a pen- You kind of see in the distance that there is a right to privacy. Um, if we look at the court as it stands now, we have Clarence Thomas, conservative, yep. who will, def- in my opinion, will vote against Roe. Samuel Alito, conservative against Roe. Neil Gorsuch, conservative against Roe. Uh, Kavanaugh, conservative against Roe. And Roman Catholic. A lot of those right. are Roman. Alito, Kavanaugh. So. Uh, Ginsburg, Sotomayor, K- uh, Keegan, and Kagan, and Breyer, I think, are going to be the liberal side. Yeah. And then that really lives up to John Roberts. And yeah, it does. And And you think he's going to vote to overturn? I think he will vote to overturn Roe v. Wade. I think that's clearly what's happening now in the states uh, that are passing these heartbeat bills. Clearly, they these bills that are now saying you cannot have an abortion as soon as the fetal heartbeat is detected. Clearly, that goes against the ruling of Roe versus Wade. Right. They want it to because they want it to go into the courts because they think, and I think they know, that if this gets to the Supreme Court, Roe versus Wade is overturned. Well, you know, the thing is, it may never get to the Supreme Court because what can happen is, uh, following precedent, the lower federal courts can overturn those state laws and then the Supreme Court can refuse to hear them. Now, you have the rule of four right? where four of them vote to hear. And like you said, there might be four hardcore conservatives and they might hear it. The thing about Roberts and a lot of people, he irritated a lot of conservatives when he upheld uh, the penalty uh, that was embedded in Obamacare. Right. Uh, so if you don't get health insurance, you know we're gonna you're gonna have to be charged a penalty. And they said, well, Congress can tax. But he said, yeah, you know, this is this is a, the, the, a, a, a he said it was a legitimate use of the taxing power, kind of stretched the meaning of taxing power to include these these penalties. But he irritated. So I don't know. You know, uh, the stare decisis, the idea that you're going to go with settled law uh, when you can, is actually conservative in the sense it keeps decisions consistent over time. But if you agree with that settled law. Right. Right. So, I mean, if you don't agree with that settled law, if you think that the Constitution has – and if – oh, not Clarence Thomas. Who's the gentleman that just passed away that left Kavanaugh on – um, Antonin Scalia. And he was very, very conservative, very literal. Uh, in a second, he would have voted against Roe v. Wade. Not he was because, also a Roman Catholic. And probably, to give him credit, not so much on his religious beliefs, but simply because the right to privacy isn't mentioned in the Constitution. Right. But it's hard. I mean, the right to privacy is upheld in a lot of other decisions. Uh, and you, you know what the Supreme Court says, well— uh, uh, the right to be secure from illegal search and seizure. Uh, you know, what does that do? Well, that, that shows that you might have a right to privacy. The idea that you might practice any religion you want to. So, well, that's a sort of a freedom of consciousness in a way. The government shouldn't interfere with your private religion. So you're right. They intuited from those things that and, – and also Amendment 10 – which says that your list there, uh, nine. nine, which says that list of rights you have is not a complete list, and that's what gives the court a little carte blanche to start looking at things like, well, maybe you have a right to pri- even though it's not listed. Amendment nine, of course, Amendment ten says, 
Well, rights and uh, powers not given to the federal government are reserved to the states of the people, respectively. And somebody like Antonin Scalia would say, hey, that 10th Amendment, that's what should have applied to abortion. Because right. before Roe versus Wade, every state made their own laws. And I think it's important to point out, I think there were 11 states who had fairly liberal uh, abortion laws before that. Uh, and when the decision was made, I think Ruth Bader Ginsburg said, maybe this is premature. Maybe we, the courts have gotten ahead of the people. And I think that's proved to be pre- prescient, that there are enough people that are so concerned about this issue and, and that they vote on it. There's a lot of fundamental Christians that I'm sure didn't like Donald Trump, and they voted for him because he put some, some conservative guys. So I see your concern. I think... It's a tough one, you know, five years that gives enough time for the appeals process to why, you know, I, I see where you're headed. I think there's too, there's too many there's too many emergency exits here. Yeah. You had the, the the life of the fetus. You have the fact that the Constitution doesn't say privacy in it anywhere. You can always rely on that conservative um interpretation of the Constitution. So there's multiple avenues that they can take to strike this down. Um, Well, they can strike it down in the sense that they would say that Roe versus Wade was uh, decided wrongly and let it go back to the states. Right. I, there's there's nothing they there's nothing in the Constitution saying a fetus is human life either, or you know an embryo. So I mean they can't they they're not going to make that decision. What right. they could do is strike down and then we go back to each state and we battle out and then the states would have very different you know laws in the end governing abortion. All right, there we go. I don't know if you convinced me that I was wrong, but you put up a solid fight, Jeff, and I appreciate that. Okay. And I'm not bloodied yet. Okay. So now we go to yours, and I will tell you why you're wrong, Jeff. You just have to tell me what you're going to say. Well, you know, Donald Trump, I, I don't hate Donald Trump. I don't think he's, uh, uh, I don't think, here's the way I would put it I don't think he's worthy of my hatred. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I, I understand why a lot of people, they'll say things, well, you know, Donald Trump, he's, he's like a, he's, he's like a new Hitler. He's going to be Hitler. And, uh, you know, people who say things like that evidently have no understanding of what happened in, in Germany in the 30s and, and World War II, because otherwise they wouldn't make no. that analogy. He's, you know, he, and it trivializes what happened in Nazi Germany. Yeah. And, and the way I look at Trump is this. The way I look at him fundamentally is he's a businessman and he's a particular kind of businessman. He's not like Bill Gates, who revolutionized the world. He doesn't understand the stock market like Warren Buffett, who became the richest investor in, in the history of the stock market. He, you know, he's he's not that good. He can't he can't conceptualize that. What he is is a huckster and a very he sells his brand name. He puts his name on these buildings and Previously, they were worth more money than they should have been because the Trump brand, and then he tried to put it on everything, stakes and his real estate, you know, and, and if you look at his real estate college that you could go to, uh, you know, they, it, he promised things like he would, you know, there would be these uh, well-known people and he would teach them. None of that came true. I think he ended up paying $23 million because he lied about it, you know, before he he, he uh, uh, got into the presidency. But but there's a difference between a huckster and somebody who's evil. You know, uh, to me, he's in the tradition 
of, uh, you know, uh, the, the idea that there could be a sucker born every minute. And I'll take advantage P. of P.T. Barnum. That. Yeah, P.T. Barnum. Uh, and he'll take advantage of that. And he'll and he'll get what he wants because he knows how to. That's the way I look at him. I don't look at him as uh, the uh, a new incarnation of Hitler. Uh, I don't even think sexism and racism, which I certainly think are part of I don't think that's they're really driving forces. The driving forces is self-aggrandizement. He wants to be bigger than life. And in some ways, he's he's done that. Oh, he absolutely has done it. And I'm not going to sit here and make an argument that he is like Hitler or Stalin or Pol Pot or anything like that, because that's ridiculous. But here's why you should hate Donald Trump, regardless if you're a Republican or and you are a Democrat. Now, you could favor tariffs and you may favor the wall and you may favor c- cracking down on illegal immigration. And I would say all of those are legitimate things, legitimate topics we can talk about and we can have a discussion. Um, we can have a discussion about the size of our military, though he wanted to reduce the size of the military and bring people sort of home and close up some of these ancillary military bases, which he hasn't done. Um, well, he, he got people out of Syria. He did. Yes. And he wanted to move. Another reason not to hate him. If Obama had gotten pulled troops out of a foreign commitment, I think Obama gets a little applause for that by the same people who are saying, oh, ISIS will come back when Trump did. And and I'm not going to say that Trump is given a fair shake by the mainstream media. I mean, the mainstream media clearly does not like Donald Trump. But here's why you hate the man is because he is attacking the very foundation of our democracy because he is incompetent, because he is self-grandized, this larger than life person. Okay, number one, he is attacking the free press constantly. He at his rallies, he has people booing and hissing to the point of attacking, physically attacking people in the press. That is at the very, uh, my opinion is, is that the First Amendment right to free press is the most important right we have in the Constitution. Without the free press, you do not know what your elected officials are doing. And he is attacking that foundation, not only attacking, but successfully attacking that people now don't listen to the mainstream press because it's fake news. It's not true. I just listened to it. Well, that started way before yeah, Trump. Yeah, but not like. Like, not like it I'm, is with Trump. Come I mean, on, I just I just listened to an Spiro interview. Agnew called the the uh, uh, the press. What did, what did they? What did he call them? Uh, the negative nabob of negativity or something. Yeah, you but, know. Uh, anyhow, he criticized them. That was back during the Nixon administration. But you still have a president. Mattering nabobs of negativity. You have a president who has said that Barack Obama, I know, it's all my beers. That's, I'm drinking your beer. Yeah. I stole yours. You have Barack Obama. We're not going to believe the press. Barack Obama was born in, a, in another country and we're going to not believe his birth certificate even though the press said that. He's just on television today uh, on Meet the Press saying that he doesn't believe the popular vote count in the last election because there were so many illegals voting, millions of illegals voting. Which the com- he already appointed a commission, and it, it right. showed that, that that wasn't true. So just on that alone, if it wasn't that he wasn't attacking the courts, if it wasn't that he was actively dividing our country, I would say just on the First Amendment attack on the free press is enough to hate the man because he is attacking the very foundation. Jeff, you go. I want to hear how this is not an important thing. Well, you know, it depends on how seriously you take those attacks. And maybe I'm a little guilty because I see him as a huckster. Like, I don't even know how much he believes that the press. I think he understands that he can say that and he can shore up his, his base wants to believe that. It's hard for me always to know, like, is the guy, when he says something like, uh, 
Obama was, you know, born in Kenya. We didn't have it, which is crazy. I mean, that's been looked into. I mean, you know, it's a, but it, it shores up this space. I'm not sure he believes that crap. Um, and what he, what he doesn't believe, and it makes him unlike Hitler. I, I don't see a lot of hatred toward other people. Other people see him glower and stuff. I don't see that. I see more of a manipulation. Yeah, I, I will agree with you that it, that that if if you attack the free press constantly it's almost like if you disagree with me if you're critical of me you're making up stuff so you're there's an enemy an, of the people yeah and he attacks the idea of objective truth like there can be some object objectivity in your lifetime have you ever had a president actively divide the american people like he has i've i've seen presidents who have divided us but i've never had a president actively try to do it try and think of one of the most divisive presidents besides uh, Trump that I remember, and that would be George W. Bush. He really, I mean, people either liked that man or hated that man, but as much as whatever you want to say bad about George W. Bush, he tried to bring us all together. He tried to bring us together as Americans. He tried that great, we are all Republicans. Well, he's certainly we a lot all- more comfortable given women and people of color really important cabinet positions. Right. I mean, so that's bringing the whole of America together. Yeah, you know, he doesn't rise to Trump when I look at him and hear him speak. He doesn't uh, rise to the level of hey, I'll tell you what though. If if it looks like he's going to lose the election and we have a war in Iran suddenly, when Iran isn't really much of a threat to the United States, guess what? I'll start hating him too. Yeah. I agree with that. It, 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 when people start dying, then they will start hating. Okay. Anyway, it's back to me, I think. Yep. Um this is my uh, second one. I'm saying that Donald Trump is a political anomaly. All right. Um, he is not a game changer by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, he's certainly unique is, uh, uh, from past presidents, but he will have no lasting impact when he is defeated in 2020. There is nothing for um, a contemporary to pick up and carry, so to speak, a baton. If I look at presidents who have made impacts, and then you can kind of trace trace it through next presidents and generations, we could look at somebody like Andrew Jackson with Jacksonian democracy. Abraham or Lincoln. Lincoln. 13th, 14th, 15th Amendment. Wilsonian yeah. democracy. FDR and the New Deal. Johnson, Medicare. The, uh, yes, you know, Medicare, the Great Awakening. Not uh, the yeah. Great Awakening. I mean, the uh, the Great Society. Uh, even you could look at Reagan with Reaganomics and strong military and fiscal discipline. Um, all of those people, they laid down a baton that somebody could pick up issues and ideology that somebody could champion, regardless of what their personality was. Donald Trump is simply a cult of personality. I equate him to a Huey Long or a Joseph McCarthy. It's going to burn bright and intense for a very short period of time, but it's unsustainable and it's certainly unsustainable for anyone else to pick up and carry. Well, you know, he doesn't have the legislative achievements of a lot of the guys we mentioned, whether that's Reagan, Johnson, or, or, or FDR. But, you know, Donald Donald Trump picked up on threads that were in our politics way before Donald Trump was here. And so those threads and the ability to manipulate them will exist after he's gone. Like Donald Trump didn't invent 
racism or dog whistles. You know that, that, that right. for you know people don't a dog whistle is sort of a way to refer to race without actually referring to race. And and when H.W. Uh, Bush ran against, I think it was Dukakis, there was a famous Willie Horton commercial. Which Willie Horton was a guy that was uh, pardoned by Dukakis, and then he was a black guy, and he committed another murder, I believe. And so that was on twenty four seven, and it played the fears of white suburbanites and white people, like you know these black people are gonna, and it was considered a, a, a dog whistle. So that existed way before Trump. Lee Atwater came up with that idea, the the sort of the the Bush uh, hitman, uh, you know, the guy who came up with the with the dirty stuff when, uh, so. So Trump does his own stuff, you know, in a, in a way, and he knows how to play those themes. Uh, racism, racism figures into the immigration thing. No, I don't, I don't think, I don't consider Trump necessarily a racist. I don't think he has. I think he's an opportunist. Yeah, well, that's so, what I think. Right, and so, he, but he's an opportunist that picks up on these. Uh, things that have been in American culture a long time. Right. So when he's gone, those things are still going to be here. It's not like racism or the opportunity to pick on immigrants isn't going to be there. And, and, and so people are going to do and, uh, things, uh, similar to, to Trump. You know, they're, they're, they're going to use that if they can get electoral advantage. So I don't think when Trump goes, that goes away. Now, and 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 similarly with the idea of the tax cut, of course he he passed these uh, tax cuts for everybody, but which highly, as everybody knows now, highly favored uh, the wealthy. Uh, you know, so did uh, Reagan. I mean, this idea of where you know no, nobody uh, that's an old Republican theme and conservative theme is you know we need to have lower taxes and you know you earn that money, you do what you want to with it. So there's some things, I guess I'm not totally disagree. I don't think there'll be a figure like Trump. I agree with that. He's, he's un- a, at best, he's a George Wallace to me. He's, he's unique, but the, the things that he uses, to, the things that he's used to get elected and to get whatever legislation uh, he has passed, uh, uh, done, have been in American society and they'll be here when he's gone. That's true. I, you know what? I think that you hit the nail on the head when you talked about those sort of um, themes running through American history. And it, all he's doing is fanning a flame that seems to die down and then bring, rise back up when someone gives it oxygen. And I think there's probably something very much uh, that Trump has done that and – 10 years, somebody else will do it. And 25 years, someone else will do it. Trump has just done it with gets a little bit more flair yeah. than others. All right. So I have one more, but well, I think that you have one before I go to my I, last I, one. I got one. I got to tell, tell me why I'm wrong about this. I think Joe Biden is going to be the Democratic candidate next year in 2020. And uh, I think he's going to win a narrow victory. Now, so there's a couple parts in this. I think he's going to be the candidate because right now every poll shows that he's ahead. He's ahead of Bernie Sanders. He's ahead of Elizabeth Warren. He's ahead of uh, Kamala Harris. But even more importantly, I just looked at the polls today, and every single state that has an early Democratic primary so or caucus, Iowa, Nevada, New Hampshire, South Carolina. He's ahead. 
He's ahead in every, and he's ahead with groups that will come out and vote. Uh, I think most people know that activists come out are more likely to take part in a caucus and a primary. And some people say, well, you know, Joe Biden, he's yesterday's news. He's kind of middle of the road. He's not going to get those people to come out in the primary and the caucus. But <laughs> he is in the polls. And one group that really, really likes Joe Biden, and they're going to be voting in the primaries because they're very loyal to the Democratic Party, is African-American voters. He's ahead in South Carolina by a tremendous amount. Not only is he ahead in South Carolina where black voters have tremendous pull, he's beating the other close, you know, uh, 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 people that are close to him uh, in the states where they're from. So he's right now he's beating Elizabeth Warren in Massachusetts. Oh, Clinton beat Trump in New York. I mean, I don't know if that's a big indicator. Yeah, but, but, but he's beating Kamala Harris, who's from California. He's beating her in the polls about California. In uh, New Hampshire, where Bernie Sanders had, had done well because he's from Vermont and it's next door, he's beating Bernie Sanders. He's beating the people that are uh, uh, running close, not close because nobody's close, but he's beating them in their own backyard. Uh, so. so I think he's going. And the reason he's going to win a narrow victory is because three states decided the election. They were last election. It was Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan. Uh, Hillary didn't even go to Wisconsin. He, she thought that was a wrap. And that was the, those upper states in the upper Midwest and uh, the Northeast, Pennsylvania, were thought to be pretty secure. But in the last, uh, they turned out to go for Trump. But last year, we had statewide, two statewide elections in all three of those states, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Michigan. They had a governor and a senator. They had that here in Pennsylvania. We had a governor and a senator. And the Democrats won both statewide elections in all three of those states. Trump is not going to be as popular. Biden's going to win those three states. He's going to be. I'll tell expressive. you why you're wrong on multiple levels. Okay. All right. First, I think there are 21 Democrats now in the race officially. Um, At least name them for me. <laughs> yeah. There's like five how many? Or six how many can you name? Ten, probably. So you can name ten, and I would say maybe twelve. And you are way above average when it comes to political knowledge. Right, what you're talking about. Simply, Most people don't even know Tulsi Gabbard is right. running. She's from this, Hawaii. This is simply brand awareness at this point. Biden is the. They don't like Trump. Biden's the only name they really know. So they're simply going with Biden. What you're seeing in these polls isn't that Biden is popular. It's that Trump is so unbelievably unpopular that they're going to go with anybody besides Trump. Um, or for a lot of people, they are so. And the person they know is Biden. Biden is attached to um, uh, Barack Obama as the vice president. Who left office as a popular president. I think at 60% yeah, approval. So, oh, yeah, depending on the poll, a high 50, 60%, which is, which is really a popular president. So when we put all these people on the stage and we get it narrowed down, I do not think Joe Biden is going to be your nominee. I don't think 70, and 70, a 78, I think he's 78. I don't think a 78-year-old man. He will be 76. I don't think a 76-year-old man is going to be the next president of the United States and be 
80 when he comes time for re-election. Um, I hate to be an ageist. Er, er, early 80s. I hate to be an ageist, <laughs> but 76 is too old to start your first term as president. That puts you past life expectancy in the White House. It puts us in early stages of Alzheimer's, early stages of dementia, all those things that are very real risks for him, for anyone who's getting to that age. So no, I do not think he is going to be the nominee. And the second place is you're wrong, is you think it's going to be a narrow victory. Yeah. Trump has not gained any support in the last four years. I don't think there's anyone out there that voted Trump that said, or voted Hillary that said, man, I really made a mistake. I should have voted Trump. Um, I think once well, you get- Only one. All he got to do is keep his voters. But how? I think what you're missing is the Clinton fatigue. How many people voted for Trump because they hated Hillary Clinton, because she was not a dynamic candidate? I'm just pulled up 270 to win to look at the states that Trump won. Trump is going to lose Pennsylvania. He's yeah. going to lose Michigan. I He's going that. to lose Wisconsin. I He's going that. to lose Florida. I don't He's know going about to lose Florida. North Carolina. Just had a He's huge going to rally lose in Iowa. Orlando. Um, yeah, he did. I, I, I'm not, I, his base is very loyal. And they're going to come out and vote. And but there's only one. There's only one base. It's not like they go out and vote multiple well, times. Here's the other thing about a narrow victory. The uh, you know Biden's not in favor uh, of certain groups in the Democratic Party, and I can tell this because I go to Daily Coast and Huffington Post, and and they keep trashing Biden. They don't want. It's obvious they don't want him to be the nominee. Uh, both of those websites would prefer uh, a woman. Uh, preferably, you know, uh, Elizabeth Warren, to tell you the truth. You can tell by the articles right. and what's – that's just it. Elizabeth Warren may lose So if she's a, vice, if she's a presidential candidate. Well, here's my thing. That's, that's why, you know, you can make an argument that one reason Hillary lost is Bernie Sanders stayed in the race. A lot of people thought that uh, Sanders supporters uh, felt that they were hard done by, by the – Hillary and, lost because it was Hillary. Well – What's because Bernie Sanders stay in the race? Well, we'll, we'll see what you know, Bernie. But but you're talking about age being a factor and why people won't. Here, here's the deal: all four people right now who have the best shot at being president or will be over seventy, and and that's Donald Trump, uh, Sanders, who's a year year and a half older than Biden, Biden, and Elizabeth Warren, who is usually now running third. Here's another prediction, though. Elizabeth Warren is going to be the VP candidate. I'll throw that right. It's going Ooh. to be Biden. It's going to be Warren, and they're going to win. That's well, my prediction. I I will tell you that I do think that this is now I'm going to be a sexist too, besides an ageist. I do think that there is a little – I think that women are a little bit different. Um, they age better as you know. When we see women who are older cognitively better. So I think a woman who is 75 is different than a man who is well, 75. Well, and, and I think Elizabeth Warren's 69. So she's – you know at that age, it makes a difference. She's seven years younger right. than Biden, and she's obviously real sharp. But I see them as being the two candidates Biden doesn't need uh, Kamala Harris to get the black vote. His, his willingness to be a subordinate to a popular bat – a black president for eight years. And obviously they had a friendship, obviously. And obviously Obama's going to campaign for yeah. him. He's going to, Biden's going to get the black vote. Okay. No, no, but Warren's going to be his VP. Excellent. Okay. So we've done two, uh, four. Let's knock it back to me for the last one. And my last one is the Second Amendment was a mistake. Not that I'm anti-gun. I own weapons myself, but it's a mistake on three levels. First, 
it protects the right to own an inanimate object. Nowhere else in the Constitution do you have the right to own inanimate objects. Everything else is a concept or an idea. The idea that an inanimate object is somehow protected, you have a right to have this thing. Well, that's great, but the inanimate object is going to well, you, you have the right to private property, but you're talking about a specific kind of Right, that this piece of private property is going to change dramatically in the 200 years. What they owned in the 1700s obviously isn't what we own today. The second problem with the Second Amendment is it's written by a gentleman that seems like he's just discovered what a comma was. And Madison simply sprinkles commas everywhere, and now we don't really know what it means. Do I have the right to own a gun to protect myself, or is it just if I'm a militia, do I have a right to to own a gun? And for people who don't know what the Second Amendment actually says, it says— uh, what a militia being necessary to security of a free state, the people to to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. The right of the people, so, and there's a comma. It says a a, a well regulated militia. Oh, yes, a well regulated militia uh, being necessary to the security of a free state. Comma, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. It is it is hard to interpret. It, it is. It, it, it's poorly it, worded yeah, for somebody yeah. like James Madison. Yeah, yeah. It, it seems like. Clearly, the idea of being in a militia uh, is the reason why you get to own a fire. But that's not what the Supreme Court says. Well, the Supreme Court fairly recently has has said that there is an independent right to right. firearms. And how McDonald versus Chicago, right? Or which is so that which kind of proves my point that it's poorly worded. The last part of it is even the concept of a militia that somehow states should have independent militaries that somehow they could use themselves is simply a ridiculous idea that may have been worthwhile in the 1700s, but by very shortly after, shortly into the 18th and 19th centuries, the militia idea is is obsolete. You need a centralized military under the authority of uh, the president of the United States. I know that we have national guards uh, that sort of work as an, sort of a, a militia concept, but even ultimately that is under the auspices of the In president. Times of the war. Well, they can. You can the na- governor can call out the national guard. right, but the president can also nationalize and take that away. Right during times of war. Not even times of war. They do. They they've done it in 1954 in uh, a Little Rock, Arkansas. Um, they well, that federal- was yeah. Well, yeah. He you actually called out Eisenhower called out the troops then, but he federalized the national guard. That's right. So they didn't have to right. take orders from Orville Fathers. Right. So tell me why I'm wrong. Tell me why this thing was a good idea. Why protecting the inanimate object? Why it was well worded? And why we actually need militias. Okay. Uh, first of all, let's just deal with the firearms. And, okay. And, and back when this was passed, the majority of people lived in a place where it would be difficult to have um, a sheriff or a constable arrive and protect uh, a family or a group of people. And uh, and in fact, I've, I've so you're saying that most of Americans lived on the frontier. They didn't live in Williamsburg and Virginia and New York and Charleston. Well, well let, let's say many Americans right. lived in. Man, small, I'll give you many Americans. Ma- ma- you know, and and a, 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 a much greater percentage than than now. I will. Give I, you I will that say so. the majority of people lived in rural areas. Okay, and without a doubt, and and so uh, the burden of self protection. Uh, fell on the the individual. Uh, you can see this. You know, I trace my history. I have a relative that came over from England, Daniel Hudson, and he was 
killed in Queen Anne's War and, and an Indian attack on the settlement that he lived on. So it's, it's, it's not this isn't hypothetical that people might need a gun to protect themselves. So that's what they were thinking about, too. And so I don't think the idea of self-protection is is obsolete either. There's even though we've changed as a society and majority of us live in or what would be described as urban areas, there's tons of people who who live in areas where if they call the sheriff, they call the police, there's going to be a time of a, you know, there's going to be a You're lapse. misdirected on me though, Hud. I, I, part of my argument wasn't self-defense. I didn't say you shouldn't own a gun for self-defense. I said that it, it's an inanimate object. I said that militias are no longer necessary. Well, those are two different things. And I, I think the well, gun- I, I know. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying the, the amendment is faulty in two areas. Well, I, I think the idea, well, again, the idea that there's not going to be- Maybe where you live, a way to protect yourself. Um, that's where the idea of militias come in. Militias are citizen soldiers. They they came. If you remember how the Revolutionary War started, I mean that was militias drilling in Lexington and Concord, and they had their weapons there, and that was against the potential of the British. But you you needed these militias to exist. And later on out west, you know, they, they can be posses where people can be deputized them because there's no other way to protect that area. And how are you going to protect that unless your area, your piece of the woods, the frontier that you live on, unless you have a firearm? So I, I, I don't think that it was just ridiculous. You're right that they couldn't anticipate the changes. And there's no way you can anticipate. And the, the fact that you can have – they would have been out, you know – Astounded that you can have some kind of weapon like a Vulcan gun and shoot like 6,000 rounds a minute. And I don't think anybody would be interested in letting them, private individuals, have that now. So, you know, I think there could be a clarification of the Second Amendment. But the idea that somebody should, uh, you know, should not have a fight, you have the right to self protection, you have the right to have firearms, I have a firearm, the right, if somebody comes into my house, Maybe I can't get a police officer there in time. Maybe I can't get protect, and so I have the right to protect myself. And that's the idea behind a militia. Even though I'm not a member of militia, I'm performing that function. And the idea of you mentioned the National Guard. The National Guard are in fact the heirs of the idea of militia, and um, they're citizen soldiers. They protect their communities. They can be called out in times of emergency. It's very similar to the idea of what militias served. And they're under the control of the governor of the state unless they're nationalized, which which they can be. So I don't even know. I, I kind of disagree with you. If you look at what happened uh, in the riots after Rodney King in California, if you look at what happened after the flooding in New Orleans and they called out the National Guard, the National Guard, i.e. the modern militia, still serves a function. Okay, I will take all of that. Um, I I am uh, I still think the Second Amendment is very poorly worded, and um, the Pennsylvania Constitution says that your right to own a firearm, I think, for self defense, shall not be questioned. I think it's something. Is that better? I think yes. It, it's very blunt to me. Yeah. You have the right to own a gun for self defense. Cut and dry. I agree with that. Well, that would make more sense too. And what kind of firearm you should own? Right. Because I do talk to gun enthusiasts, and they think they should have any kind of weapon necessary to fight the national government. And 
that's not that's not possible anymore. No. I can't sell you the the M1 tank or the F16 fighter jet or the Apache helicopter. That that ship is it sailed. It would make your Saturday nights a hell of a lot more fun, though, wouldn't it? Oh, you got a, a, the fireworks on the Fourth of July uh, would be unbelievable. But you can't do that anymore. And I do hear gun. So I, I do like the wording of it. It's, it's for your self defense, right? Which is going to limit the type of weapon. I mean, you can't really argue. I, well, I needed the M1 tank because, right. yeah. So okay. All right, there we go. So this is the final pod for season two. Thanks for joining us, everyone, for another season. Um, we have a bunch of stuff planned for next season. We're going to take a little break, put some of that together. Like I said before, you can probably expect to see the next season at the end of September, early October. If you want to drop us a line, as at always, it is uh, History Politics and Beer at Gmail. You can catch us on Facebook. You can catch us on Twitter. Uh, until next year, next season, thanks a lot, everybody. Bye-bye.